Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. An Erio's original. With anti-Asian hate crimes at record numbers, this season of The Margaret Cho, we're examining the historical crimes that laid the groundwork for this recent onslaught of violence. I talk with Asian comedians, authors, journalists, podcasters, as well as the organizations and people working to stop Asian hate. Welcome to the Margaret Cho Mortal Minority. Today we're talking about the live streamer in London who stopped a knife attack against a Singaporean student. Also, our historic event is the Hell's Canyon Massacre, which took place on the Snake River between Oregon and Idaho in 1887. So many 1800s terrible events. My guest today is comedian and writer on The Late Night with Seth Meyers Show and really amazing millennial, Karen Chi. Hi, Karen. I'm a fan of yours. I really love you on Seth Meyers and you're awesome. What? The feeling is so mutual. Oh my gosh. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just like excited to see you and You know, I I was really um, moved by your statement um, after the um, Atlanta shootings. And I'm just grateful that you're out there. You know, we just need so much of this like thing of like just representing and talking about this, you know, because it's just it's just too much. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Thank you. That's so nice of you to have seen that. Um, And I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad. How are you feeling with everything going on? Um, I mean, I mostly feel really overwhelmed, I think. I think unless I'm sitting and thinking about it really actively, I mostly feel like there's a part of my brain that's kind of paralyzed, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I really wonder if it's just because I, you know, I, I think the entire pandemic has already frozen a huge part of my brain um, right. and has made me feel like I'm constantly in grief mode almost for... Mm-hmm. you know, so many reasons. And so then when, when the Atlanta shootings happened and the hate crimes have started seeming to escalate or at least escalate in the news coverage that they got, it just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like, oh, there's no more of me to have 
been frozen. It's just this is mm-hmm. not like hitting a wall, I guess. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's um, – I'm just scared. Like, I'm just scared all the time. I'm an older Asian-American woman. I'm very uh, – it takes me a long time to open my phone. So it's like I, I like – always try to be ready if I'm outside because I know like okay if something happens I have to film it like I have to if like somebody comes up to me I have to film like be ready so anytime anybody's like walking towards me I'm just like scared Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like what's gonna happen like something's gonna happen and I don't like feeling that defensive but I'm just really cautious of you know what's happened this sort of growing feeling of like not sure if it's okay for me to be here Mm -hmm. and that's not cool it's like I was born in America I am very much an American yet to even question that sort of like feeling of belonging it's like really a very scary kind of place to be yeah oh my gosh totally yeah I'm so sorry you feel that way I feel like everyone must right now. It's really nerve wracking. I had a friend who posted on Instagram about how he bought like whistles for his parents and like uh, pepper sprays and stuff because they live far away from him, I guess, and they're in their early 70s. And it mm-hmm. is just a new level of sort of constant vigilance that I never really thought we would need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is very scary. It's strange to like think that your skin is wrong that your race is wrong and that there is even like a question of whether or not we should be here or that that's even um, somehow a conversation that people feel empowered to have, like go back to where you came from. Like to me, it's like you could say that to anybody here except for people who are indigenous to America, Mm -hmm. you know, Native Americans, which are the real owners of this land, if we want to talk about ownership, mm-hmm. like who really has ownership? And it's such a weird, um, I don't know, it puts us at odds with other minorities. It puts us at odds with our own being. It's a very, I don't know, it's like, well, it would it would be great if like, you could go back. But I, I mean, I can speak Korean. I do love K-pop and I love K-drums. <laughs> You're like and I do love Korean this. food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Yeah, I mean, there is a kind of thing of like, maybe I should, like, I was in Hawaii last week, and I felt so relaxed. Yeah, I know. I didn't think about that. it was so Asian. Yeah, Hawaii is great. I was like, nothing's going to happen. Also, before you go to Hawaii, you have to get tested. Yes, it's beautiful. And you are, like, pretty stringently, like, tested and given a QR code in order to bypass the quarantine. Or if you Mm. get there, you have to be quarantined. You know, they're super serious Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. COVID. I mean, more so than any place I've been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even with that, people are masked up and walking around still. So there's this level of safety and not just like physical safety, but the emotional and mental safety of like, I'm not going to be racially attacked here. Yeah. That's sort of also... That sounds running through my mind. Yeah, I've never been to Hawaii before. I'm down to move to Hawaii. (laughs) This sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really fun. It's really beautiful. Um, It it was really delicious. I love all of the food. Yeah. And I was able to eat in a restaurant for the first time in a year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Which is like incredible, too. What did you have? I really missed that. 
I had a steak. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I love that. Decadent. Yeah. Very excited. We I shared a lobster tower. Okay. With the my friends there. Like a seafood tower, like which is like pretty it seems like another world or is another it? life where you could actually share like a seafood tower like with ice and Okay, cool, cool, um, cool. I was wondering all what sorts of like seafood. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, like a and stack. raw seafood. Okay. Like a stack of like ice plates filled with like lobster and crab and all these different crustaceans and eat with your hands, mm. eat with people. I mean, we were outside, but it was on the beach. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you want to be outside if you're in Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. It was really beautiful. And it, it was like, and everybody I was with was Asian. Yeah. And I was so relaxed. <laughs> I'm really happy for you. That genuinely makes me really happy for you. It sounds like you had a lovely week. It felt really good. It felt like, oh, God. Like, I got there and I was like, oh, I'm so happy. (laughs) I like, I was just been so scared to be Asian. It's like so weird to be scared to be Asian. Yeah, that's real. It is. It's really frustrating how I feel like we went from being like invisible in a way that was uh, it felt like we went from being invisible in a way that we were like, oh man, we're really looked over in America. That sucks to being like visible, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> well, um, visible in order to be victimized. And, and I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, I enjoyed the Oscars and I enjoyed watching, um, Yoon win. Like she's actually a friend of mine. So it was like, oh, you know, Mommy works so hard. Like, I was like, she's so, it's amazing. Like, the first Korean woman to win an Oscar. Yeah, or the first so Asian woman to win an Oscar since 1957. Mm-hmm. That that particular Oscar. Her mm-hmm. and Chloe Zhao, like, felt very much like a triumph. Although, you know, it, it's, it still seems like we don't have enough of a presence in show business yet. Like, there's just... We're just starting with with them and you, and it's very, very still like the very beginning stages. Mm-hmm. That's true. I agree with you. Yeah. So we need to have more, and the invisibility is um, scary. But the visibility on the news has been quite uh, extensive, at least in the last few months. And um, so the modern thing that I wanted to talk about. So in this podcast, what we do is we go through like a modern issue, a modern hate crime or a crime against Asian Americans, and then go into a historical context. So the modern one is really, um, it was on a live stream by a live streamer named Sherwin, who was in London walking in Leicester Square. Have you been to London? I have, but I was there really briefly once, and so I don't, I have no idea what Leicester Square and where that is. Leicester Square is, it's, it's. Interesting because Leicester Square is right in about a block's proximity to Chinatown. So London's Chinatown, which is kind of all like sort of Old Compton Street, Soho Street. It's all in that little neighborhood. It's kind of like this um, small Chinatowns, theater district, Soho, uh, all of that is there. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was a Singaporean student who was attacked by a man wielding a knife who tried to steal his bicycle on a London street. His name is Raymond Hing. And um, while he was being attacked, there was a, a live streamer named Sherwin who was walking around London and he heard Raymond Hing screams for help and he goes over to him and, 
It was like really scary. Like when you're watching the live stream, I, I watched it and I was really alarmed. Like this is really scary and it's so weird, you mm. know, and this guy's like streaming it. So he asked uh, Sherwin to call the police, which he did. And you see like actually part of the attack because Sherwin's coming up and yelling, leave him alone, leave him alone. And you see uh, Raymond Hing, he's like on the ground and he's got like this cut on his face. And then the attacker like walks away and then walks back to him and tries to get the bike somehow. And, you know, the attacker ran away. Sherwin like chased him away, like pretty much because he couldn't be attacked because he's like filming it. And also, you know, this thing and there's just like all of this chaos. And it was really it, it was really frightening. Like it, and it, it's something that um I guess I'm glad that there was somebody there to help him. But it's also like, why is this happening so much? Like, it's so much like violence. It's not just America. It's in Chinatown, basically, in London, which to me is a very metropolitan city. It's a very multicultural city. Mm-hmm. You know, for something like this to happen, it's like really scary. And like, I always think like, it's all hate crimes. It, it Whatever now, if you're happening... If you're doing something against an Asian person, I'm just going to say it's a hate crime because there's so much question of that. Even like with the Atlanta shootings, is this a hate crime? Yes, it's a hate crime. Mm -hmm. Why is there a question of it? Like, it's a weird thing. Have you noticed that, though, where people are like questioning whether things are hate crimes or not against Asians? Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen that in the news a lot, but I don't I don't know. I, I I feel like. Maybe it's because of the people I follow on social media. It seems like everyone has been in agreement of it being a hate crime. But I do know that on the news, I guess people were a lot more hesitant about labeling it that way or have been like, oh, maybe there were other, you know, motivations behind this attack or things like that, which is obviously, you know, bullshit. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird, though. Like, we almost have to say, have the attacker claim it as a hate crime right in order for it to be categorized as a hate crime it's like why are you giving the perpetrators of these crimes so much power to define what we call something yeah like that's troubling to me that's true just like um this guy who's like killing six asian women in atlanta and two other people like oh i'm not racist so you're allowing him to take the ownership of what this is going to be framed as. Yeah, that's true. And I think even beyond that, I think there's an issue of like, if you're letting this person who has committed a hate crime then say that it wasn't, you're sort of gaslighting, you know, the experiences of everybody who wasn't firsthand in that shooting, like people like you and me who, you know, are third parties to this. Um, Because I think there are a lot of Asian Americans who hear stories about this automatically assume rightly so, that it is a hate crime. And then you're sort of trapped in this state of terror, kind of like what you were saying before of how you're very scared to go out, even though I'm guessing you haven't actually been attacked or anything. But if people are saying Mm. it's not a hate crime, then that sort of is then delegitimizing your emotions. You know what I mean? Even though they are completely valid in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's like this denial of truth that's really frustrating but it's also works with our own denial as asian americans of 
somehow downplaying the damage of microaggressions. Like when people say, where are you from? No, where are you really from? Or, you know, what kind of Asian are you? Mm -hmm. That kind of like weird um, trying to uh, sort of like minimize identity in a way that makes it more um, like you can't possibly really be American. Mm -hmm. So let's get to the quote unquote truth. But the, those I think are really like legitimate microaggressions. Like I remember um, I was uh, engaged to this white guy. This was like in the 90s. And I was visiting his parents in uh, the South. Mm -hmm. And he told me his mother was like, does she need anything? Like, because I'm like, Asian like what do I what would I need like he was Wait, trying to explain it to me like she was like concerned that we were not going to be up to like your you needs need like money or rice or oh chopsticks okay, okay. Yeah. or something <laughs> or like hot towels before I don't know I'm like what, nice. what would Thank I you. need <laughs> yeah. I mean I, yeah I would I would enjoy that I actually wouldn't say no. for rice <laughs> I'm not sure like maybe uh, but there was this kind of like feeling of fear around what am I going to be doing hosting this other? Mm. Like, how should I behave hosting this other person? Is this other person going to require more than I'm able to supply? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and and then that is like a microaggression of like, that is super weird. That is like, super weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, <laughs> microaggressions are weird because I think when they happen, part of you is like, what is going on? Like, I don't, like, sometimes it doesn't, it takes a while to see how they got from A to C. And so then you're like, yeah. this is just bizarre. <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from. I lived with um, these two girls, maybe, we were all, how old were we? We were, I feel like we were, well, we were all like 22. This was in, New, this 23. This is when I first moved to New York. And uh, they had the weirdest microaggressions where I just was like, I don't even think this is offensive to me. I think you're just dumb. Where one time mm -hmm. I was doing the dishes and I had gotten these like um, like rubber gloves to do the dishes. I think that's not a crazy thing. Like so many people no. I know wear them. Yeah. And we had a running tally of like, oh, if you buy something for the house, you put it on the fridge. And so I just wrote, you know, I got rubber gloves, you know, for whatever money on the fridge. And one of them was like, oh, well, we're not going to use that. Only you're going to use that. And I was like, oh, okay, like that's fine. You don't have to use this. And she was like, yeah, I mean, that's such an Asian thing to do is to preserve your hands. And I remember thinking like, that's not an Asian thing. It's I not don't an know Asian where thing. you got that. That's so funny. Yeah. And now I wonder if she just had like one Asian friend before me who was just really weird, like objectively. And now she thinks all Asian people are that way, which is honestly hilarious. But yeah, there were so many I know, bizarre it's, things. It's so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. Is that from like manicures or... I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I spent so much time thinking about it because I thought it was so funny to be like, you've never heard of anyone else wanting to use gloves when they're doing the dishes and you think Asian people have really nice hands? Like, I was, I didn't know. I don't know, but yeah. I definitely use gloves when washing the dishes, but I don't think it's an Asian thing. I think it's very... Um, <laughs> Well, it's it's just it's just gross to like have to. If you're really gonna wash dishes, you should have gloves on. And, yeah, I. After I mean, if you, if you clean the house, you should have gloves on. I think. I yeah, I went around and I asked a whole bunch of my friends 
who weren't Asian, they were all just like varying degrees of like, yeah, I use gloves or like, I don't, but like, it's not crazy to me that somebody would. <laughs> it definitely wasn't a cultural yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's a weird, it's weird. So microaggressions are weird. So now uh, we're going to talk about, about a macroaggression. If there's microaggressions, there's macroaggression. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Hell's Canyon Massacre. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So we're back. Have you heard about the Hell's Canyon Massacre? This was a crazy thing that happened. Yeah, I have heard about this. I, I'm hard-pressed for details right now. I can't, but I have heard about this. I studied Asian American history in college and did this, like, Asians in Europe course once, but I can't remember mm-hmm. what that is. Yeah. This was um, something, I did a lot of different kinds of research about this, so I watched a, it was hard to find. There is a lot of uh, stuff on um, Oregon Public Television. So I had to really go deep into YouTube Uh and go down to all of the sort of like the fake Ken Burns uh, documentaries where there's a lot of banjo, kind of like camera panning over line drawings of early Americana. That's so uh, this happened um, in 1887 okay. in May, and a gang of seven horse thieves of white men from Wallowa County, led by Bruce Evans, ambushed uh, the Chinese gold miners, who had um, mostly come up from Lewiston. Lewiston was about 65 miles downriver. So they, they had taken their boats upriver, which is actually very difficult, and through all of this like very rough terrain into this Snake River, which is uh, the canyon that is directly between Idaho and Oregon. Okay. Now, Idaho had, had, you know, they had all these different mines, and, you know, there was, like, this uh, Sam Yup company of San Francisco had uh, sent these Chinese miners out, and so they're all working for the Sam Yup company, and they were directed by Lee Loy, and... Um, so they were all up there, and uh, so seven horse thieves went and they ambushed the gold miners, and they robbed the gold dust from the Chinese and shot them with high-powered rifles. They mutilated their bodies and dumped them into the Snake River. They burned their camp and equipment, and so it took a while, but the, the bodies finally washed ashore in Lewiston. But this is like... This is like one of this, these things that there's so many instances like this. Yeah. I mean, in um, America at that time, there was something like 200 Chinatowns mm-hmm. in different cities all over because there was a lot of uh, 
people coming over. There was a sort of apoc apocryphal mythology spread around China that um, there was gold in the streets mm -hmm. in America, and they were calling it Gumsan, which is Gold Mountain, mm -hmm. and that there was just gold everywhere that you should go and get. And in China at the time, class was so fixed and caste was just so impermeable that there was no way that you could sort of move out of your living situation or work your way up because it was just impossible. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people decided to find their fortunes in America and came over and they um, were hired out and would sort of pay their passage with promise of wages later. Mm -hmm. So they would be indebted to these people who brought them over, mm -hmm. like these companies that were taking them. So they, they would have to work for several years, but still like it was just sort of lucrative enough where, you know, you could imagine like, okay, well, it is indentured servitude, but I will make my freedom at some point and, mm -hmm. and be able to send money back, which a lot of people did. Have you read um, this book called How Much of These Hills is Gold? Oh, no, but that sounds great. It just basically the book came out, I think, last year around this time. It's a, it's a fiction book, but deeply rooted in research, and it's written by C. Pam Zhang. It takes place around this time on the West Coast initially, or in California. So, yeah. Okay, anyway, I was very excited, but... It's a really good book. I highly recommend it's it. It's exciting. Yeah. There's so many exciting stories that we have no idea. Like, and we have no idea of all of these people who were killed. I mean, mm -hmm. 34 miners were killed by these seven white men. Um, one of them was like a teenager of, like, there's ex actually photos of him. Actually, the these white men who actually were never convicted mm -hmm. and went on to be leaders in their community, except for... One of them who we would never have known if um, of any of this, except one of them um, in March of 1988, one of the gang of killers, Frank Vaughn, actually confessed and turned state's evidence against the others. So even though he turned evidence, like they, no, nobody did any time. Nobody was punished for the crime. Um, they were in, indicted, but they never saw any jail time. And they went on to be leaders in their community. Um, I think one of the names of the killers is actually on a um, monument what? in Oregon that commemorates the people who were pioneers of the town, of that oh, area. Oh, wow. Is, is it the same person? Or is it somebody with the same name? It's No, it's the same person. Oh, it's wow. one of the murderers. Yeah, yeah. This is the kind of, like, I guess this is the kind of society they were living in, the dehumanization of the Chinese people. Yeah. That they were, like, able to, like, excuse the murder of 34. I mean, that's a lot of people to kill. That is a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. <laughs> I, it's, like, it's a lot of fucking people to kill. It's, yeah. like, not just, like, you know, it, it's not just a simple crime. This is, like, a major, like, crazy, in, really a massacre. Yeah. And for that to really not have any effect on your life. Yeah. Where you're just able to go back into society and then become a leader in your society. But this is the kind of attitude that these people were having. Um, so the New York Times at the time wrote, the late George S. Craig, who attended the trial, told an interviewer years later, I guess if they had killed 31 white men, something would have been done about it. But none of the jury knew the Chinamen or cared about it, so they turned the men loose. I guess Craig had owned a cabin used by the gang. 
and knew some of them. In the Oregon Encyclopedia, it says, in 1891, a father of another of the accused killer, Robert McMillan, only 15 at the time of the massacre, quoted his son as confessing that the gang had killed 34 Chinese before fleeing with a large quantity of gold. Credible accounts written separately by two early Wallow County settlers put the number of dead between 31 and 34. I mean, Jeez. it's hard to know. Yeah, yeah. How many people died? It's hard to know. So this was like pretty much a largely forgotten incident. And uh, Gregory Noakes, who actually wrote the book, Massacred for Gold, uh, found like documents about this case and about the um, grand jury indictment and the details of an escape from jail by the leader of the gang and a lengthy deposition by Frank Vaughn uh, giving his version of the murders. All of these notes were found in an unused county safe in 1995. So he found them oh, wow. and they were just handwritten and he just like read them and he just, this thing was rediscovered. Yeah. So what happened with House Canyon is in 2005, they uh, named the site Chinese Massacre Cove, uh-huh. which um, I think is... I mean, that's good. It is correct. Um, it is, and in it is really weird to name something after something that horrifying, you know, rather than have like a plaque there that was like, here's something awful that happened at this time a long time ago. I know. Because I think if you but are... But to name the place. Right. I feel like if you are a Chinese American living near there, it's going to be like, I don't want to hang out in that cove. Like, why? You know, <laughs> that's weird. I know. I think it's kind of hard to get to. Um, mm-hmm. I, I watched the... Um, what, they did put a plaque there in 2012. I watched the memorial mm. where um, they uh, helicoptered down a plaque to honor the slain Chinese miners. And um, it's, it's installed there at the site of the massacre. Greg Noakes, who wrote the book, and a lot of other people donated money to make the plaque there. And they, they put the, um, it was all done with like private donations in them. And they uh, inscribed it in English and in Chinese, and in Nez Perce, which is the uh, native people who had lived in the land, that's their land, Mm -hmm. beforehand. And they did uh, a ritual there. It was a very, like, elaborate uh, Chinese kind of, like, death ritual. And um, after they did it, they felt a huge wind blow across the canyon, kind of as if um, that there was, like, these tortured souls were there that were finally being set free which I thought was really poetic Mm -hmm. and beautiful but it's really like to me this is like the the worst thing that this this massacre was like the worst thing that's happened yet it was so hard to find anything about it Mm -hmm. like the most of the things like I listened to different podcasts about it but there's a lot of like um, haunted and ghosty podcasts that are sort of about the story, but there's not a lot of like historical, factual, like any kind of accounts of it. You know, it's a very hard to find any real information. And, yeah. and if you do like a search of Hell, Hell's Canyon, you'll get like more of a hiking guide. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and more about the, the natural f- plants the natural that beauty on. of the area <laughs> the natural beauty of the area and what it's like to um raft down there but it, it it's not really a sense of the history that happened yeah yeah and probably very annoyingly so for reasons that are the same as the reasons today right where like the thing you were mentioning earlier of a lot of like newspapers and consequentially like a lot of people 
referring to the Atlanta shootings as something that wasn't a hate crime is largely also because there weren't like reporters from the big established American papers on the ground at the time who were able to speak in Korean or in Chinese or, you know, and so they were only hearing mm-hmm. the information from the people who were the attackers. And I'm sure that's the same reason why history has preserved, been preserved in this way of that, of the Hell's Canyon incident where nobody talked to the families of the victims. Nobody was able to, you know, get quotes from anyone or get like accounts from anyone. They were just, you know, the people who probably were in the newspapers, if there were at the time, were friends of the murderers and were only able to talk to them. Right. Yeah. And we don't have names of the victims because a lot of the names were translated into English, which were sort of not the real names. Right. So they didn't really translate them correctly. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have a real sense. Of they, they have an understanding of like where people came from, mm-hmm. which would be the Guangdong province and around there. So in the documentary that I watched on Oregon Public Television. Yeah, shout out to Oregon Public Television. <laughs> Shout out, you know, the Oregon experience really helped me out with this. But they they did like go there and try to find people that were sort of in the same clan. So they're like, maybe a relative of somebody that was alive at the time, mm. and kind of around. Mm-hmm. They, they contacted those descendants. But um, really, you don't have a sense of the history, you don't have a sense of their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we're such a huge part of America becoming what it is. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't have a real imprint. And this is one of the ter- most terrible chapters, yet it was just so impossible to find anything about it. I mean, I think that's why it's so wonderful that, you know, there's a fictional account because mm-hmm. at least we have an imagining. Mm-hmm of what it was like. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's actually, that I think that's really true. There have been a lot of, I read this book that's for, it's like a middle grade novel, so it's for probably like fifth graders. Um, but it came out, oh, maybe also last year or the year before, called Prairie Lotus by Linda Sue Park. And that was about, it was uh, the author, Linda Sue Park, having read all the Laura Ingalls books growing up and being like, oh, this was such a mm. magical you know, reading experience for me as a child, like you really sort of get this almost fully sanitized version of the American West and everything. And she wrote this book about what it would be like for a biracial, like half Chinese, half white girl on the prairie, you know, living a Laura Ingalls mm-hmm. kind of lifestyle. And it, it's really wild to read and then be like, oh, yeah, there were people like this. Like, this is true. Um, this yes. person's life could have conceivably happened exactly as it was written in the book, but we just never read about them or hear about them ever yeah no never and um and those laura ingalls wilder books are to me i really love them like i i really loved prairie fashion i'm from the 70s yeah I so love we loved prairie, prairie. Fashion. yeah <laughs> we loved prairie fashion so like funny. you want to look like you're gonna it's very big love or whatever you're gonna be married you like polyamorous but not no not polyamorous polygamous polyamory is kind of cool polygamy is not cool <laughs> you know you're gonna be like in this like weird like dress that's sort of batshiva with big <laughs> big puffy sleeves and um live on the prairie but that, like i love prairie fashion but those books, I read them all and I loved them all. But now I look back and I'm like, I don't think that's right. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure <laughs> I don't think out. that's... There was like this companion guide that came out. Uh, and I haven't brought myself to read it because I had such a, like, a, I've 
such a sweet memory of having read them when I was in elementary school. And I was like, I don't want to, you know, go back and, you know, tamper with that in any way. But there was this companion guide that came out about Laura Ingalls's life. And they were talking about how awful Paul was as a dad, because he, anytime the family, you know, started settling down somewhere, he had a great time to move again. And each time it was not something the rest of the family wanted. It was something only he had this like wild dream that was it was really like a manifest destiny kind of thing, which is, you know, awful. And multiple times mm-hmm. they went to like, I think they went into lands that they weren't supposed to be in that they were like, they were like sanctioned as like Native American lands and then got really mad that they had to leave, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Were like, oh yeah, they, this was bad. They are part of a really bad thing, but we loved them so much growing up. Yeah, yeah there was a wholesomeness to it, but also because I'm kind of lactose intolerant and they would always drink like milk like out of the cow so it kind of freaked me out like that's super weird (laughs) and I remember one chapter where she's like they'd butchered a hog and then they were playing with the bladder ball yeah with the bladder yeah 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 not really freaked me out too yeah (laughs) like it's like why don't um (laughs) Yeah, that, uh, there's just like a lot of it. Like, I wish that it could be as idyllic, but it's really not because it's just they're they're sort of taking the land for granted. They're taking the sort of Americanness for granted, mm-hmm. as if it was like all theirs to have whatever. For sure, yeah. And you know, there's no mention really. I mean, as far as I can remember, are there, are there any mentions of like native lands or native peoples? In those yeah, books? there's one. Well, the only one I remember, and I'm probably misremembering this, is I think Laura and Pa go out truly to stare at Native Americans one morning. I think that is what happened. And then they come back, but mm-hmm. it's like a really, and then in, in one book, I can't remember which one, I'm pretty sure they build a home, I want to say in South Dakota, and then they get kicked off the land, rightfully so, because they had trespassed. Um, but then it, mm. it isn't like a, oh, I understand I've made a mistake. It's very much a, I cannot believe you're kicking me off of my home. <laughs> like, it's very much the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That they're, they're, like, rightfully supposed to be there, and they're somehow, you know, believe that they're, it's it's their land, and yeah. it's, but it's not. Yeah. And it's just like, it, it, it's, it, I don't know, we haven't learned much. Like, we haven't learned much at all as a country and you know this entire time like that I've been in entertainment like I've really tried to sort of like create a space for Asian American entertainers Mm. and it's still really hard it's Mm -hmm. still really hard to sort of like find that space and find that right within ourselves too Mm -hmm. that empowerment within ourselves to say yeah we belong here and we should be here Yeah. yeah 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 that's true it's tough. So we're yeah. not in the canyon. We are not. We're not in the eighteen hundreds. We are here now, and we're here to stay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. So, where can people find your information, your shows, what you're doing? Um, will you be doing shows again, like stand-up shows again, at some point? Yeah, think? I would love to. Um, I'm not sure when I'll start again. I'm actually in Korea right now with my family, so I'm not sure when I'm going back to the U.S. probably not for a bit but maybe this fall <laughs> I'll start doing stand-up again I'm really yeah. excited about it um yeah I'm on Twitter and Instagram I have a website that I don't update very much but I should are you in LA I'm in LA okay cool, and cool, cool. I'm in um 
I'm in my house and I'm like not going outside, but I will go outside at some point. I just got <laughs> vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. Oh my God. Congrats. That's exciting. Also, your house looks really, really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. It's quite a paradise. Yeah. It's, I like it. It's definitely um, my gumsan. Yeah. <laughs> that's so nice. Which is also because it. of Hancha, the same pronunciation or the same. It sounds similar to the Korean. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's very cool. Well, thank you so much, Karen. Thank You're you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It was so nice to meet you. So great to meet you. Thank you. <laughs> Today we are highlighting Stop AAPI Hate. This is an organization that is working to track and analyze this uptick in Asian hate crimes by creating a database. To report a hate crime, go to their website, stopaapihate.org. Their website also has lots of resources like safety tips for those experiencing or witnessing hate crimes and bystander intervention training. If you want to support our show, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts and spread the word. Reach out to me on Twitter with your thoughts at Margaret Cho or at Instagram at Margaret underscore Cho. The Margaret Show is produced by the Erios Network. Erios. Powered by ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.